It's the most all-star studded challenge ever. And this time, it's every competitor for themselves. Best challenge ever! The Challenge All-Stars. New season now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply. And welcome to another edition of the Michigan Basketball Insider. Sam Webb and the man, Tim McCormick, former Michigan basketball standout, NBA first-round draft pick, and now a commentator covering college basketball for ESPN, Pistons basketball for Fox Sports Detroit, and let's not forget, runs the show over the NBA Players Association Top 100 camp. Tim, another week. How you doing? I am doing really well, and boy, th- things are turning around quick, Sam. I'm I'm fired up. Michigan's won five of six, um, 500 in the Big Ten. The defense is excellent. The offense is balanced. Nice depth, outstanding leadership, um, they're, and they're poised to make a great finish like we've seen from a lot of the John Beeline teams. I know that the, the schedule is daunting, but but I, I think they're poised to do some really good things. And And as I was watching the last two games, really believe Michigan's strength, like the, the best thing that they have going is their balance. You know, the, the defense is good. The passing's fine. The shooting's getting better. They're legit seven, eight deep. Um, but everybody knows their role right now, and they're doing it so well. I, I'm, I'm excited. This is good. Yeah, you said something after the Ohio State game. You, 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 said, you, know, I don't, you said, I don't take that one uh, as much of a gut punch as – Everyone else, you actually felt good coming off of that game. And I wanted to piggyback on that because, you know, I remember feeling pretty down, feeling pretty lost opportunity after that game. And while it was, there were some there were some real takeaways from it defensively. uh, You know, you really saw that with with uh, with Michigan. You saw, uh, you know, some aggression going to and around the rim. They just weren't able to capitalize on open looks. Uh, That defense has has maintained. They've been able to sustain that. And, oh, by the way, Tim, they've started to hit some of those, uh, hit more of those open looks here over the last couple of games. This made a ton of difference. As, like you said, they've won five or six now. Yeah, there's a couple of things that get me excited. Number one, um, Isaiah Livers and his injury may turn out to be one of the best things that could have happened to this team. And and I, I look at Isaiah, and he reminds me of Blake Griffin with the Pistons. Um, you know, different types of players a little bit, but they're both a strong, dominant leader. They're the best player. They do a lot. They do a lot of the heavy lifting. And and when they're playing well, they make the other team react. They take the, the top opponent defender. They they create space and confidence for everybody. And and that shows like like the fact that that Eli Brooks is playing better. It's not a surprise. It's not like he's all of a sudden trying hard. It's just the fact that, that he's got more opportunities against lesser defenders. And, you know, Austin Davis, and you know, he's playing his role, and Xavier's assists are up. The, the other thing that really, um, really impresses me is that, you know, two weeks ago, Michigan was shooting poorly. The, the energy level wasn't good enough. And coming off the Ohio State game, Juwan's comments – were not about executing their offense or cutting harder. His comment really intrigued me. He said, our transition defense and our communication was not good enough. And I didn't see it. I didn't understand it. It was a little bit confusing to me. I completely see it now because the foundation of defense is communication and talking and um, pointing out, you know, whose man you've got and taking charges. It's togetherness. 
and and the the first part of your defense is your transition defense and if you start off talking it's going to carry over and so not only is isaiah playing better but the defense is starting to look a lot like it did during the battle for atlantis yeah i think that i think that for for him uh it's the one thing that you can look at on the court you know shooting can be fleeting uh, you you never know, but defense travels. They say that for a reason because you can control that. You can control how much you talk. You can control your effort, game in and game out. And that had been inconsistent, and we still see. I mean, I saw even in the in the win over Indiana. We'll get to this. I could I saw a few times in there in transition defense where they didn't stop the basketball. And Juwan, you can see Juwan kind of react to that. Like guys, this is what I'm talking about. Now it wasn't it wasn't a you know persistent issue. Uh, but it just shows you how much attention to detail there is on that end of the floor. And from that, everything else flows. Because getting into Northwestern, Tim, they started out 0 for 11 in that game. I mean, just could not, as I like to say, throw it in the ocean. But because they were locked in defensively against the team. Now, again, that might not sound like much against Northwestern. But remember, we talked about Northwestern had Rutgers. Northwestern was close against Purdue. They were they were really close in a couple of games leading up to that Michigan game. So there was every reason to believe that that would be a, you know, a, that wasn't going to be a walk in the park. But because they were locked in defensively, they were w- able to withstand that early drought that they had offensively. And so the interesting thing about that is I – I sat down to watch that game, very comfortable, just kind of casual, sitting back. And after about four minutes, I was up pacing. <laughs> I was like, wait a, wait a second, what is going on here? Um, but but uh, on the road, it, it can be understandable. I think a big part of it is that the fact that they, they force-fed the ball to John Teske. I, I expected him to have a really big game. He didn't. He's struggling. Let's talk about that in a few minutes. But, but – um, I thought that Northwestern and and look, I I don't want to be an apologist because the first five minutes were pretty weak. I thought it was 35 minutes of excellence. It wasn't the first five, but after that, after a puzzling start, they played hard. They generated good looks, and and Isaiah Livers completes the team with his energy and his leadership and his skill. He strengthens the bench. Uh, the team defense has no holes now. And, and remember, Northwestern is the worst team in the Big Ten, but they played some good teams, as you mentioned. A, a, a road win in the Big Ten is like gold. You don't ask how you got it. You just move on and you just keep going. And now they've got momentum. The D is, is so much better. And they're, they're playing their best ball in mid-February, and that's what good teams do. Yeah, so you mentioned force-feeding the ball to, to John Teske. And let me, let me start out this conversation by acknowledging that this was something – uh, that I was clamoring for, that you know, I felt like it, when it came to realizing, uh, you know, some some more potential offensively, that that was where the greatest room was. You know, things that they could actually do. Was this team going to be a team that became much more adept off the dribble or became much better shooting threes versus could could they get more out of the post? I thought they had a better chance of getting more out of the post. And they have been more willing to to dump the ball into John Teske, but Tim, you being the big fella, you being the guy who is who has excelled, uh, you know, in the paint in college and uh, in the pros. Tell me if 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 the things that I'm seeing are on point. You know, we, we things that we talked about early in the season. Number one, establishing good position. Sometimes he get he gets pushed out 
really high and not not really deep post position. That's number one. Number two, demanding the basketball. That's number two. Number three, catching the ball clean, catching the ball on balance. Uh, and then a lot of times, uh, you know, Tim, if 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 he's not, you know, if he's not able to convert a shot or get a shot up with his strong hand. Uh, you know, the the shot percentage is even lower. So it, all in all, it has really added up to me to a guy who's who's lost some confidence on that end of the floor. And I'm curious if, if any of those things that I'm seeing as a novice observer, are you seeing those things as an expert? No, I, I see them too. And it, during the game, I had this image of Juwan Howard sitting in his coaching room with Saudi and Howard and Phil Martelli and his staff. And, you know, they're talking about the Northwestern game plan. And I am, um, I imagine Juwan saying, guys, you know, Sam Webb over at TKA has been <laughs> clamoring for us to just force feed the ball to Teske for the first four or five minutes of the game. Let's do it tonight against Northwestern and just see. And so, so that, that didn't quite go. Right. It didn't go as planned. That's why he's uh, coaching, but, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, but I, I, um, I, I have three points I want to make about the bigs and with Teske. First of all, you know they've got three viable options. Teske, Davis, and Castleton combined for 20 points and 15 boards out of your center position. Not bad, right? Um, but with Teske, let's go back in time because I remember a conversation I had with G- John Beeline uh, during the NBA exhibition season, and Teske was flourishing coming out of, of the Bahamas. And John Beeline said, Teske can absolutely play in the NBA. Um, that that was like like 1st of December, December 5th or 6th. Uh, things have changed a little bit. And I go back to that, that game against Iowa. I think it was December 6th. Luca Garza scored 44. And, and it was one game. It was no big deal, right? And, 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 but it was a huge deal because after that, it was Coburn. It was Tillman. It was Williams. It was Oturu. Everybody was going one-on-one against Teske, putting up huge numbers. I think he was humiliated. It destroyed his confidence, and he never recovered. And when you see him going up in the low post, he's lost his base and his balance, and, and, and so that's a huge issue. The second thing, which I think is kind of interesting, John Teske is an angle scorer. And, and what I mean by that is he needs direct access to the rim on his shots. If you make him come over the top, he really struggles. You know who else was like that was Robert Trailer. Mm. Tractor Trailer would use his body, and he'd get a little bit of a half of an angle where he had a direct line over the basket. Another guy that was an angle scorer was me, so I know about it. The defense has adjusted on John Teske. And when when they make him shoot over the top of outstretched arms, over the top of a shot blocker, he loses his balance. He gets knocked off. He fades away. And so when when John Teske is able to get to the point where he can start to move with confidence, come to a strong jump shot, jump stop and get that angle, he'll be a lot better. And then the, the third thing, Sam, is they've got to keep starting him. You know, I, I, I've, I've seen on social media, some people believe, hey, Austin Davis is putting up bigger numbers. Let's start him. Maybe they'll jumpstart John Teske. I don't believe that. It's so unique to have a guy like Austin Davis that can thrive in, in a bench situation like that. That is so hard, and his numbers have been immensely consistent. I, I think that you just stick with it. You keep getting Teske the ball. You keep working with him because they need him in March. And if he has a big game, he's a super 
super reliant, confident guy, right? Like he, he's got to, he, he's got to feel good about himself to play well. So I think you just keep going to him, keep working with him, keep building him up because they will need him. Yeah, Tim, I, I think you, you nailed, and I really want to spend some, some more time. I feel like we talked about Austin Davis, you know, the past three, four podcasts, but he's it's worthy of mention again. I want to get to him. But I, I think you, you nailed it. I mean, you're getting 12, 13 minutes of outstanding basketball from Austin Davis. All out effort, effectiveness. You you run the risk, I think. Uh, you know, with a guy like that, if you double his minutes, uh, you know, are you are you going to mitigate his his effectiveness? I just, you know, you don't want to mess up a good thing. You got a good thing going with Austin Davis, and as you said. You know, could it could it be even counterproductive? A guy who is cle- clearly struggling with his confidence, uh, you know, at, at least on the offensive end of the floor, floor right now with John Teske, uh, will you exacerbate that by by putting him on the bench? So I, I don't think you do that, and and I, I think I, I think you continue uh, to go to him to a point. I mean, you don't get belligerent with him like I was thinking, but I still believe that John Teske is an effective effective enough passer and teams. I was surprised by this, Tim, that teams still dig down on him. I mean, you looked at no that Northwestern doubt. game. Yeah. Northwestern, they were still digging down on him, you know, bringing a second man on him. So if teams are going to do that, and and he can be – and he is the, has the kind of court vision as a big fella that that I believe and you believe he has, I, I think it I, I think it stands to reason you continue to go to him even if his, if his, you know, his scoring the b- basketball isn't up, you know, if he can take his time because teams have sped him up a little bit. I don't know if you know if, if you've seen that, Tim, but it feels like, especially when they bring that that extra man down, you know, it kind he. I don't want to say he panics, but it does speed him up a little bit. If they can get him to keep his keep his pace. Uh, he sees the court well enough where I think you keep feeding him because even if he isn't going himself offensively, he can he can be a guy that can find others. Yeah, you, you brought up a lot there. Um, teams are doubling Teske on his second dribble, and so he's got to know that. And when he catches it, take a look, take a deep breath, identify where the defense is coming from, and then go to work. But be a little bit more quick and concise and, and confident with your moves. Also, when when you looked at the Indiana game, Michigan didn't go to Teske early. That, that was That was an adjustment, and they said, okay, you know what? We're going to give you a breather. Just go play the game, get some rebounds, defend. And and that was a good adjustment. Also, with Austin Davis, this has been so enjoyable for me uh, to watch his development because I, um, I've known him since he was a freshman in high school. He came to my Michigan Elite 25 program. And, and so I've been a friend and a mentor and a coach for him since he was just a young kid. And I remember... He is a Michigan guy. He wanted to go to Michigan. And I had conversations with he and his dad, and they just kind of asked my advice because John Beeline first was saying, you know, we're, we're not sure, you, you know, you're a Big Ten player yet. Maybe you should go to prep school for a year. And he didn't want to do that. And then John Beeline went to see him play, and he said, Austin, you know, you just don't run hard enough in transition. If you want to play at Michigan with your skill set, You've got to be the hardest worker. You've got to sprint in transition. You've got to, you've got to generate the hustle baskets. And and so the next time that Beeline went to watch Austin play, he, he was sprinting. He was playing with a maniacal force. 
And that's the way Austin Davis plays. Now, he's not a smooth athlete, but I give John Beeline a lot of credit. He saw something in Austin and said, if you want to play at Michigan, this is what you have to bring. And so what what a great journey and a success story. Yeah, I am I am tremendously impressed with a, with a couple of things. Number one, that the kid continued to grind. It, it had to be frustrating, uh, you know, that he basically uh, – and this is, this is just the way they used him. Up until this this season, he was they they looked at him as five fouls, you know that that's yep. how they utilized him on the floor, and and so enter enter Juwan Howard, uh, and an increased commitment to to getting it in the post, and and a guy who was came in with an open mind, willing to empower guys who hadn't played key roles in the past, really empowered them to to play those roles uh, this year, and so. Space meets opportunity for for Austin Davis, and he and here this guy is capitalizing on it, extremely efficient on the offensive end of the floor. I talked about Teske being sped up at, at, at times, and you know we talked about this on the on the uh, on the morning show. You know, Austin Davis has his pace, and you aren't going to speed him up, Tim. You no, know? no. <laughs> you you just I mean he he is amazingly he is amazingly amazingly composed in the post regardless of what you are throwing at him. Uh, you know, he has an array of moves. He has a drop step. He has a he has a half hook. He he can uh he he we've seen him hit a couple of reverses as well. So he's crafty around the rim and he can create space with his with his body. And he's a guy you mentioned John Teske is an angle scorer. We've seen Austin Davis score over people. So again I'm not, I don't want to make him out to be, you know, this 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 NBA draft pick. But man, he you know for for Michigan and effectiveness in the post, he is Michigan's most effective post player. Post player. Wow, right that, now. that's a strong statement. I, I like that. And and also, I, I remember um, in practice when I was at Michigan, going head to head every day with Butch Wade and Robert Henderson and Roy Tarpley and John Antonitis. And man, it was there. There were a lot of games that I thought. This is so much easier than practice. And and I get the sense that Austin Davis has benefited by playing against John Teske every day. You know, how often and 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 for those that say, well, you know, Colin Castleton got beat out by Austin Davis, you know, he needs to move on. No, no, no. <laughs> because the the mentoring process is going on and all of a sudden Colin Castleton probably next year is going to emerge. He's highly skilled and people are going to say, well, where's that been? Well, that, that's what happens when you get mentored in practice. And, and just like Austin Davis is giving Colin Castleton a hard time in practice every day. Guess what's going to happen to Hunter Dickinson next year in practice. He's going to get the same mentoring. And that's where you have a succession succession plan where you just have good big guys every year. Yeah, it's a it's a great segue, Tim, into talking about this week's guest. Uh, you know, I know you were at the Michigan State game, uh, you know, a few weeks back now, where it was a huge visit weekend for Michigan. Uh, the highest profile recruit they had on campus that day was a kid out of Austin, Texas, a five star forward, you know, kid that stands about six nine, uh, checks in at about two hundred, uh, two hundred five, two hundred ten pounds kid by the name of Greg Brown, and one of the things that he said, speaking of centers, one of the things his dad said 
that, that they like about Michigan is that, you know, Michigan has bigs. And any any team that doesn't have two or three big guys, legitimate fives, uh, you know, that is going to be a problem in, you know, in Greg Brown's assessment that he doesn't want to go to a, a, a team that doesn't have a guy that they say, that's my five, man, that's my center. Because while he can certainly do it in a pinch, that's not what he wants to do uh, full time. You know, he, not not even most of the time. So, uh, you know, that Michigan has a couple of bigs in the hopper uh, are slated to be in the hopper, including Hunter Dickinson uh, next year. That is an appealing thing uh, to Br- Greg Brown. And I know you saw you saw him in the stands at that game against Michigan State a couple of weeks ago. Well, I watched all of the recruits. They were sitting right there next to the tunnel. And, and they had big smiles on their face. Hunter Dickinson was loving it. And even some of the local kids, Jay Nakins, um, who's, who's – is he from Farmington, I believe? Farmington. Um, yeah, you know, the, the, those, those players were imagining themselves playing for Michigan. And I kept thinking, you know, if, if all of a sudden – if Greg Brown says, you know, I want this, I'm willing to sign right now, um, w- would they possibly take him – you know, over, you know, somebody that doesn't want to sign yet is kind of waiting their, wait, waiting their time because that, that that looks like an exciting place for a recruit to be. Yeah, you know, it's it, it's interesting. I, I, this was – it always takes me back to a an, an instance with John Beeline that I talked about in a prior podcast where, you know, every coach for every program in the country, and probably you could say that this about every sport now, you have to recruit with attrition in mind. It is mm-hmm. a it is a fact of life in today's intercollegiate athletics that you are going to have kids that are contemplating leaving, and, and very often, uh, you know, kids that actually do leave. And so you got to be ready uh, to to react. You got to be ready to come with 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 guys that aren't just throw-ins to fill out a roster. You know, guys that can actually help you. Uh, and and to do that, you gotta you gotta continue to recruit guys even when you don't have, you know the the scholarship, you know technically available. You say, hey, I don't have, you know, two more scholarships available. I only have one available. I'm gonna recruit, I'm gonna recruit two or three more guys on the chance that hey maybe two two or three scholarships do come open because it happened to John Beeline. We mentioned it before when he. Uh, when he got battle, who ended up flipping over to to Syracuse, he had uh, Josh Langford on the hook, ready to commit, and he told Josh Langford he couldn't come because he was waiting. He only had one scholarship left, and he was waiting for Cassius Winston. Yeah, and, maybe it's a message to Isaiah Todd. Yeah, yeah, and and I think it absolutely, as opposed to being a message, it is in part contingency uh, that hey, he is a guy that is committed to Michigan. I think he. I think the kid is sincere when he says he really wants to come, but it is very clear that you know that the you know the people that love him are advising him uh, to not lock in yet, to not lock in to going to college yet, even though he has expressed that's what he wants to do. It you know will will going pro overseas will that be what's best for him? They're still weighing that, and so while yeah, well, he while he weighs that, Tim, you know Michigan can't just sit and wait. And get caught in the lurch if he decides to go that way. You had better be working some other angles. So in the event that he does that, you are prepared and ready to go. 
Yeah, I, I don't consider myself a recruiting expert like you, but the thing that doesn't make sense to me is if he would have signed his NLI, he could still leave to Australia if that's what he wants. Oh uh, yeah, right? yeah, you're you're right. Uh, I you know I couldn't give you an explanation for that. I, yeah. I, I guess the only thing that I could say is there's no, there's no, uh, you know, there's there's really no tangible benefit for him to doing so. Uh, certainly for the school, it, there would be because it would it would certainly bar him from even considering uh, any other schools if something unforeseen uh, were to happen. Like, hey, Juwan Howard was to go to the NBA to coach coach some other team. Far fetched, right? We don't think that would happen. But hey, I thought it was far fetched that Job Eli would only coach half a season, and that seems like it's on the table. So I, you know, for for me, for me, I, I think I think the that Michigan has approached this as 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 well as you possibly could. Uh, you know, they haven't been overly aggressive with it, but at the same time, they aren't just sitting back saying, hey, you know, everything is riding on you, kid. They want him. He's expressed he wants to come, but they while he works his process, they are working theirs just to make sure that, uh, you know, they, if there's another kid that's interested, they're still talking to him. And who knows, Tim, even if Isaiah Todd – you know, and his and his family decide that that Michigan is definitely the place for him, and that he's going to go to college. There might still be another couple of scholarships that come open that would accommodate not just Josh Josh Christopher, but also Greg Brown. We'll see. But I had a chance to speak at length with uh, Greg Brown's father in the aftermath of his visit to Michigan, where he went over the pros of of the visit experience and talked about some of the criteria in, in his son's decision-making process coming up. So here is Greg Brown Sr. All right, Sam Webb here with the father of one of the best players in the entire country. Uh, he is a top 10 prospect, a five-star prospect. His name is Greg Brown out of Austin, Texas. His father is also Greg Brown. And so, Mr. Brown, how you doing this morning? I'm doing well, man. How about yourself? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. So, I want to I want to pick up uh, kind of where we left off when I spoke to you prior to coming to Ann Arbor. You said you you were going on the visit with no expectations. You were just going to see uh, what Michigan had to offer. So kind of take me through what you saw, what you thought, what Greg thought as you guys uh, made your way to Ann Arbor. Man, we had a great time. Uh, got a little more than than expected to be quite honest with you. Uh, didn't realize that the Michigan fan base was as excited about their basketball as they are about the football. Uh, that was a little surprising. I, I took Michigan to be a, more of a football school, so when I saw all the people in the crowd at the game wearing, wearing their maize and blue, it was pretty exciting. All right, so the, the atmosphere. How did the atmosphere at Michigan – compared to some of the other places you've been to Auburn, you've been to Kentucky, you know, you, you've been to Texas. How did the atmosphere at Michigan compare to those other places? Uh, to be honest, the, the atmosphere was pretty much the same at Michigan as at all the other places except Texas. Texas doesn't get as many basketball people to come watch the basketball games. Mm -hmm. uh, but like I said, it was surprising because I thought it would be more like a Texas 
in the fact that less people would come to the games. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? The, the basketball game. So it was it was definitely a breath of fresh air to see all those people in there. Oh. You know what I mean? Yeah, that was that was big time. That was that was absolutely big time. Uh, and we we thoroughly enjoyed the win over Michigan State. Uh, we thought that they were well coached, and uh, we saw that when uh, I forget my guy's name, but number two, uh, he hadn't been in yeah, playing Livers. for a little while. Isaiah yeah, he's been, he been hurt, but he he looked like the heartthrob of the team. Uh, in the game, man, he looked like he brought he brings the fire and the passion. Uh, of the team, man, and they they rallied and, and put some on Michigan State, man. It was it was very impressive. So uh, you know, Greg is a high profile guy. As he made his way through the gym, that that people seem to know who he was, seem to know that he was somebody on the recruiting scene. Yeah, definitely, man. He, he had a, a lot of kids come up and want to take pictures with him and sign him and sign autographs. So that's pretty normal when we go to different places, but, uh, he was, you know, he gets excited about that kind of stuff. Cause he loves, you know, taking pictures and signing stuff for kids. So, you know, that was right up his alley. All right. So the, the time with Jawan, uh, you know, you, obviously you, you had a relationship, a connection with him before, but this was, this was FaceTime. This was sitting down yeah. with him, kind of getting an idea of what the plan is and how he thought Greg would fit in. What did he say about that? Uh, he, he, Kind of compared, made some player comparisons of Greg uh, uh, to like a, a guy like a Anthony Davis uh, type of guy uh, that we saw. You know, we could we could relate to in some respects, uh, and just kind of t- allowing Greg to understand how he would utilize him in mismatches, et cetera, et cetera, uh, which is kind of more or less the spiel that we get from everyone. Uh, because Greg can play and guard multiple positions, it's it's, it's going to be quite a few mismatches in in college. I, I I I just from watching college this year and the last couple of years, it's going to be interesting, man. So uh, we definitely felt really good about that. Uh, actually, something funny, man. Spoke to another gentleman uh, earlier today, and uh, we're just talking to him about the same things that we're talking about. I forget his name, but uh. It was so funny. He's like, so are you are you wanting Jawan to promise Greg some playing time? Or I'm like, man, we don't need to be promised anything. <laughs> we gonna wear out whoever whoever at the school. We don't. I just seen all these kids play, man. Greg can play at any of these schools right now today and go in and start for any. It don't matter any school in the nation. We've seen it. We've been there. We played against the majority of these kids at a lot of these schools while they've been in college. So that was, it was kind of funny just talking to the dude. He was a good guy, but I'm like, man, you, I, I guarantee you, you ain't seen Greg. Like, <laughs> you wouldn't be even asking me these questions. But anyway, it was just funny, man. I had a good time with him, though. <laughs> hey, so, so you know, a, a big part of it, like, because uh-huh. look, like you just said, it, it, Greg gonna get PT wherever he go. That's yeah, that, wherever he go. Yeah, that go that goes without saying. The 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 connection, the vibe that that you feel exactly. in the place. What about that piece? Did you did you have that kind of connection, the kind of vibe totally, that you're looking for? Totally had that kind of connection. And the biggest thing that I saw that that appeals to Greg the most, because it, as of lately, he, he's been coming to me like, Daddy, 
if, if the school ain't got no bigs, if they ain't got at least two or three bigs at their school, I ain't going over there. I'm telling you now. So that's a, definitely a plus for, for Michigan because y'all got three or four bigs. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So that, that – and then with Hunter coming in, I think you're going to lose one. One's a senior, but you got Hunter coming in. Greg's pretty excited about playing with some bigs because he don't necessarily have to be the five mm-hmm. if you get if you get my drift. Right. Uh, but, he, you know, like I said, he's a mismatch at, at pretty much all the five positions on the offensive end especially. You know, maybe not so much on the defensive end playing against some of the bigger fives. Uh, but definitely on the offensive end, I don't, I don't see where there's a matchup that he can't exploit. So you, one of the things that really stuck out when we talked before, it's like, hey man, you kept it real. Like, hey, when you first saw Hunter, you was like, hey man, I don't know about this cat. But yeah, once no you, question. Once you saw him give work to to Evan Mobley, you're like, okay, yeah, this, this. I, I was like, yeah, he, yeah, I'm, I, I like this kid. I like this kid. So now that you, so now yeah, you, you got a chance to hang ahead. with him. Uh, you know, Greg got a chance to talk to him a little bit, hang with him a little bit. What did he think? Yeah, Greg, Greg, Greg uh, just wants to play with a couple guys that's just nasty, man. At the end of the day, Greg like dogs. We like dogs as a family. We don't really like the nice, kind, gentle basketball players that that ain't gonna let it all hang out at the end of the day and uh hunter has shown us a little nastiness lately so we definitely are fans of hunter okay so what about what about other interactions i kind of expected from your conversation from the conversation with you before y'all y'all kind of knew kind of felt that y'all had a vibe with Jawan. What, yeah. what what about what about other people in the program, other players. I'm, I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be real honest with you, man. The people around. I I forget this gentleman's name. I I, I do apologize. Uh, but it, we had dinner with him yesterday before we left, and I got an amazing. Uh, yeah, uh, Mr. G. Oh, Greg Harden, G Harden. Yeah, I, hey man, I, I love that cat, bro. <laughs> I ain't gonna lie to you. I I love it. I, we met with him yesterday before we left, uh, and we met with two brothers that are with the Mo Mo and something like that, man. Okay. But but anyway, the reason why I like them so much is because they they yeah they're in charge of the athletic career center. Yes, okay. my wife helping me out over here. <laughs> uh, Hey, man. Teamwork make the dream work. Make the dream work. Ain't no question. What what impressed me so much about those guys were the fact that of the questions that they asked Greg. They like, hey, we know we know you play basketball, but you, basketball shouldn't define you as a person. Mm-hmm. And who are you as a person outside of basketball? Because this basketball stuff only gonna gonna last for so long. So. After that's said and done, like who are you as a person? Mm-hmm. And that's some that's one thing that I really could resonate with because even me playing sports at a high level, once it was done, it's like, okay, what do I do now? Who am I as a person? What do I want to do? You know, and it's like they're being proactive with that. And that that's no other school kind of showed us that side of it. You know what I mean? Hmm. So I thought that was big time. I thought that was big time. Yeah, so so 
G Harden, man, uh, you 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 sat down with G Harden. You talked about the question. You know, he he is the guy that gives you gives you the the questions, make you it makes you look into the deeper aspects of your decision in your life. But then there's the part of of him that man, that's just a dude that you can kick it with. That's just a dude that yeah, you can, exactly. And, and so totally I, I'm curious, did you did you pick up on that? Yes, yes, immediately, immediately. He he is such a such a, a, a interesting guy, such a good guy, and I'm gonna be. It's I I haven't noticed other programs having men of color in such positions. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Just to be honest with you, I thought that was very intriguing, and to uh, like they we were we talked a little bit about you know just the fact of. When you talk about sports like football and basketball and just having people that you can relate to, man, it's huge for kids. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Uh, Sometimes you can't really relate to people who don't look like you all the time. You know what I mean? I I don't don't want to say it the wrong way. I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. Look, look, there, there there is not just the comfort, but an affirmation about where you could go, what you can be when you see people who look like you. Who look like you. In positions of authority. I get what you're saying. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts. No question. And so that resonated very highly with us as well. You know, uh, I think that's, that's, that's that speaks volumes of the growth at Michigan over a lot of other institutions that, you know what I'm saying, that we looking at, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that, that, that's definitely a plus. All right, so so I'm I'm picking up what you, how you felt. How did the wife feel? How did how did mama feel about the whole visit? Well, she she felt, she is, is kind of on the same page as us, man. Whatever floats the boat, whatever makes us happy, she, gonna, she rocking with it, you know what I mean, <laughs> at the end of the day. Right. Uh, so it's, 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 as long as we good on the decision, she, she, she a thousand percent behind. Um, and like I, I tell everybody, it, you know, as, as much as I like certain things about places, you know, it's even more so important to have make sure Greg is in tune with what's going on because he's gonna make the decision. Dad ain't making the decision for him because it's not it's not Dad that having to go play at whatever school. It's gonna be him. So uh, talk with him a little bit after the visit, and he was he, you know he had a blast with the guys. They went out a little bit after uh, we had eaten dinner on Saturday night, and uh, you know talk with Jawan. He Juwan is talking, you know, what he wants to hear and, uh, and as far as the way he wants to utilize them, et cetera, et cetera. So it, it looks very promising at the end of the day, man. It looks very promising at the end of the day. But like I told like I told the gentleman earlier, you know, we, we, we want to see, you know, how the season plays out, who's going to be back at these programs next year, who, who's coming in to the program next year. Not so much. We could care less as far as, 
some Greg having to compete with somebody for a position. I ain't, we ain't worried about that. Mm-hmm. We just want to see who Greg will be playing with, who decides to leave, who decides to stay, the guys that they get coming in, and then kind of go from there. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, you know, that, that feeds into what you said about the, the important thing about the outlook for the season next year. Can you win right away? So right there. And that's exactly man, that's the number one that's the number one thing we we we, we evaluate. Mm-hmm. Who okay, it's gonna be probably this six, seven, eight guys, nine guys, whatever the case may be. Just with Greg added to this, okay, what they gonna do, what it's gonna look like, you know, that's kinda that's kind of the next steps uh in our process uh of evaluating. All right, so I I went out like I told you I was talking to you from L.A., man. Uh-huh. I, I went out. I was obviously watching Josh, and he put on a, a show. show. Oh yeah, that's that's, that's Josh. <laughs> Ain't no question. Ain't no. Hey man, it's it, you know what's funny about all of this? Like the more people get to see these guys play, because like everybody has a thought process of what they hear, you know, highlights that they see, you know, and they like oh because because Greg get this all the time. Oh, he's just a dunker. He's just a dunker. Uh, and, and I'm like, you man, if you think he's just a dunker, you obviously ain't came to see him play to no ex- extent. Because you wouldn't think that if you saw him play, you know, to a to a uh, more than just on them highlight reels that you see. Because that's what everybody want to see is dunk. Nobody want to see him shoot threes if you're jumping out the gym. Nobody want to see that. You know, so it's, it's just funny as you saying that, how I've seen Josh over the years. So I know Josh can straight boogie. You know what I mean? I'm talking about straight boogie. And he's going to lock you up on the other end. Right. You know, but not everybody kind of knows that of these kids by watching the highlight film because you don't see the defensive end a whole lot for unless that's all the kids do. If that's all the kids do, you're going to see them dunk a couple times, make a couple blocks. But, you know, it's it, it's it's – the way it is, I guess. And and also, I talk to his dad a lot. I'm sure I'll talk to his dad within the next day or so uh, about how it went and all of that kind of stuff. But uh, but yeah, we we go we stay in communication. Uh, we're gonna talk. We're gonna we're gonna play with Josh for the McDonald's, which is gonna be awesome. Uh, awesome little experience down in in Houston. So it's gonna be interesting over the next couple of months how things shake out. All right, so you, every place you've been, it, it, it feels like you, you come off of it. Everybody's been impressive, man. Everybody, yeah, been everybody has. Everybody has been impressive. Uh, some places have been a little more impressive, just because I didn't think that much of them going in. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so when your expectation is low, and then you see a little more, then you're like, oh crap! I okay, they 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 because they you know it's almost like. I'm just waiting for something so they can be out the picture, basically. You know what I mean? Uh, and they they like, ah, oh, they hit me with dang, so I got to keep them in here a little longer. You know what I'm saying? That type of deal. But, uh, but no, they, we've had great visits to everywhere, man. It's gonna, Greg's going to have a, a, a tough decision at the end of the day, to be honest with you. But at, as long as he's comfortable with his decision, because like I told I was talking to Jawan, and me and Jawan talk. Outside of basketball, too. You know what I mean? So, uh, but I was just talking to him about how crazy the transfer portal portal is and how kids don't want to be held accountable. Accountability is a crazy thing. I'm like, man, listen, whatever grade you decide to go to school, there ain't going to be no transfer. If it don't work out for you, hey, you're just going to miss out, bro, mm-hmm. because that's when you chose to go to school. 
So when you choose, make sure you choose a place where you want to be and where you're going to make it happen. Because we're not doing no transfer. So, so, as you talk to him, you know, y'all, y'all had your conversations coming out of the visit. What, if anything, did he say stood out to him the most while he was at Michigan? He said, he said he he liked he loved the fan the fan interaction the fan base, and he actually had a great time with the with the guys on the team. Man, those are the two things that he probably that probably stood out the most to him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so as you guys, you mentioned it's going to be an interesting couple of months. You're waiting for teams, guys, coaches to kind of weed themselves out. I'm curious. Pretty much. What, what, how, how, at the end of the day, will a team weed itself out? How are you going to separate? If you, ain't, you, know if you don't have no bigs coming in, if you ain't got no bigs coming in, and you don't have no bigs currently on your team, Greg not going to your school. Okay, so let that's, let that's one major way you gonna weed yourself out. Okay, so let's if let's, you ain't let's got no if you if you don't have two to three fours or fives at your school, you gonna weed yourself out. Okay, okay. Greg not going to your school. Okay, so let's let's assume I know this probably is not the case, but let's Your assume head. let's assume that all of them have three or four, four you know bigs. bigs. All right, so once, okay. you, once you get through that, then what's the next thing that weeds the, out? The next thing, what's gonna what's gonna what's gonna where can he win the most? Mm-hmm. Where can he win the most is the next thing. Uh, next thing after that, how are they going to utilize? Are they going? Does he feel they're going to utilize him the way that he wants to be utilized? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day, I, I seen I saw him play this summer on a really good Texas Titans team, but he hated it the whole time. Absolutely hated it though. Played extremely well, but hated it the entire time. If he think you're gonna try to utilize him the way he was utilized on the Texas Titans team, he's probably not going to your school. Which is how did they utilize him? He didn't touch the ball very much. Um uh, he wasn't allowed to make plays for others. So they they just basically parked him in the paint. He was more he was more of a recipient of others making plays, mm-hmm. whereas he wants to be able to make plays occasionally himself as well for others. Mm-hmm. If you get my drift, I do, I do, I do. He he doesn't he doesn't see, and that and that and that. But that goes back. That go. Let me preface this with that goes back to if you haven't seen him really play. You wouldn't know that about him, that he can make plays for others. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You you, you kind of assume, oh, he's athletic, he can dunk, he can finish, you know, he's a big, you know, blase, blase. But if you really sit down and watch him, you you, you almost be like, oh, shit, you do all of that too? Mm-hmm. You know, but like I said, you wouldn't know that unless you've been to see him play more than one occasion, which most of these people don't. I got you. I <laughs> they got come you. one or two times, and then they, oh yeah, we can use them, we can use them, <laughs> and then he gets to your campus and get to whooping people's ass. I mean, whooping. Sorry about that. You good? Whooping you on people's head. Look, look, you get you getting the real me, right? Look, you look, get the whooping on people's head, and you like, oh, I didn't know he did all that too. Yeah, he do all that too. Yeah. Hey man, that, so, that that actually worked. You can say ass on the radio. That, that worked. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. And we are back here on the Michigan Basketball Insider, Sam Webb and Tim McCormick. And 
as you can hear, Tim, uh, you know, a dad that is is really dotting all the I's. I mean, when you look at the schools he's considering, uh, you know, pro development is very big on the on the wish list when you consider he's looking at guys like uh, John Calipari at Kentucky, who's dealt with the number one and done. He's looking at Memphis and Penny Hardaway, who's played in the NBA. Joan Howard uh, at Michigan obviously fits that bill as well as, you know, some of the schools. And then, of course, Texas, his home school, and Auburn around out his top five. But you can really see, you know, a dad that's looking at some programs that he feels like are high profile and the son and then also some coaches that he feels like can really develop him for the next level. Wow, that was really good, Sam. And you've got me rethinking the interview thing. Because, you know, we've done coaches. We've done Juwan and Phil Martelli. And we've done Michigan players in the NBA. We've done Michigan legends. And I'm really enjoying the, the recruiting interviews you brought. And when I, when, I, when I listen to what Greg Brown's father says, a couple of things jump out at me. Like he, he was clearly, both of them were excited at the Michigan Northwestern game by the buzz and being at Austin uh, university of Texas, there's no buzz around their basketball game. So that that caught, that caught them off guard, I think. Yeah. But, but but so with, with Isaiah Todd and potentially Greg Brown is, is that redundant? Are, Are there, are there too many compliments to each other that would make it hard for them to play? Tell me about, his game. Yeah, so it's a great question, Timmy. You're right. I mean, as you heard, uh, you know, Mr. Brown, he he considers Texas a, a football school, and basketball basketball is really something they do to to pass time. I mean, it's a it's a big time program. They really like Shaka Smart, and it'll be interesting to see what happens with Shaka. I mean, it, you know, their candidacy candidacy Texas is is totally dependent upon Shaka's presence. Uh, but that they were taken aback by at Michigan. This is this is a big time atmosphere. The fans are out in mass and they're fired up for Michigan basketball in a way that they didn't experience at Texas. He said, you know, it was more like Kentucky and Memphis and the big time programs, big time basketball first programs that they had been to. So that's number one. But as far as your question about redundancy, if you if you watch Isaiah Todd, Isaiah Todd is much more of a he he's a four. He's a wing four, but he's kind of kind of like that. Kind of more that that four or five, whereas Greg Brown is more of that three four. Dad would say two three four. I mean, he's a guy that at, at times, and I know Isaiah Todd has run the point some as well. But I would think you, if you watch Greg Brown, you see he handles the ball better. He's a he's a bit better perimeter shooter, three point shooter. Uh, can can put it on the deck some. So has wing skills. This is a guy that you could play at the three spot. Two in some some big situations, uh, and those two guys can really really play together. They wouldn't clash. You can you can really you can really see some intriguing uh, you know dynamic uh, dynamics evolve when you have two guys that at six nine six ten could really be interchangeable. You could do some high low things with those guys. Uh, you could do some two-man game things with those guys as well. Some really intriguing options because because both are comfortable on on the perimeter, but Greg Brown especially, I think even more so on the perimeter uh, is comfortable. And I think that's why, you know, Michigan, if it were to come to pass, and I don't want to blow it up too much like I think it's likely, I just think it's possible. If you were able to get both of those guys, uh, you could definitely play them together. I had somebody ask me this week, Sam, uh, how could you have this this 
you know, abundance of talent and make it work. What you would do is you would almost have 10 guys in the rotation and you would demand that they play pressure defense. They play as fast as they can. You would want to press them like UNLV style, the old days. So that guys will go out there for three or four minutes, max blow it out. And then they'd need a a break. Mm -hmm. And so, so that that's the way it could possibly work. And wow, thanks for doing that, Sam. I, I really like that interview. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's always fun. We'll see how things go uh, from there. But Tim, switch gears back to the guys on the team here, here and now. You know that Indiana game. Remember, Indiana. Uh, you know this is a squad that had lost four straight at one point, right? And you know you were kind of looking around, kind you know waiting to see was this going to be something that that where Indiana played themselves out out of the tournament, you know, played themselves into into trying to work them work their way back in, or were they going to get that that key win that would kind of get them back on track? And Tim, they were able to do that. They were able to get a a really big W over Iowa in a really chippy game. Won that game by twelve points heading into Ann Arbor, and, and so you had a team that was feeling good about itself uh, when it came to town Sunday. And boy, did did Michigan! I thought it was the most complete offensive performance in conference play for the Maize and Blue. No doubt, and I, I actually um, I, I enjoyed the game so thoroughly. I felt bad because I had broadcast assignments this last weekend. Um, I wanted to be there with my basketball brothers for the reunion, but um, for two hours on Saturday, I had a smile on my face. The, the environment was fantastic. The Michigan basketball family in the house. The team is back to 100% and extremely dangerous. And I've never held back my admiration for Juwan Howard um, and and my never-ending belief that he's just the right coach for this team. He's going to bring them to massive heights. I was so happy about the fact that he must have been immensely proud of the team, one of their best games of the year, uh, a full 40-minute effort, unselfish commitment to detail. And, and I said it last week, Michigan can beat any team in college basketball right now. And the numbers really bear that out. They shot almost 60%. They're making their threes. That was a huge problem for a while. Um, they're, they're, they're developing into a strong rebounding team. Wagner, how good has he been? Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, and Xavier Simpson was brilliant. Mm-hmm. You know, we we get a little bit hard. Some sometimes he forces the action a bit, but twelve and eleven assists and one turnover. I mean, you're not going to see a twelve to one assist turnover ratio by anybody. Yeah, I think I, I think it's important. You're, you're, I, I think we hold him to to a high standard because he's been a great leader. For, for Michigan, but I, I also think it's important to point out when does he force the issue? He forces the issue when when things aren't working for the other guys. Uh, but when they're working for the other guys, he finds them. And so in this game, you know, again, you know, Michigan, they hit open looks early and an X fed them. And so you, you watch this game and you see them knock down a few, you know, a few open jumpers. And the thing that I was really impressed by, with as good as they shot three pointers in this game, Tim, they only attempted seventeen. They mm, didn't. Like they that. didn't. They mm-hmm. didn't go overboard with, oh, we're hitting threes, so let's just keep, let's just keep shooting more and more and more. They used that for a team that isn't very adept off the dribble. They used the leverage from their jump shots and great ball movement 
to to help create leverage to the basket. And so you saw, I mean, it's like everyone was attacking the rim in this game for Michigan. It's like, wow, I didn't know Michigan. You know, I, I saw people saying, I didn't know, you know, Michigan has so many guys that could get to the rim. Well, when you're hitting your open shots and when you have terrific ball movement because the team, now you hit your open shots, they got to react to you, Tim. And then when you got them reacting to you all, all over the half court, uh, you know, you're going to create some lanes to the basket. And Michigan did a terrific job of not settling for jumpers on a day where no one would have criticized them for doing so because they were hitting so many of them. There there were a lot of things to like in this game. Um, kudos to Teske and Simpson on 105 career wins. Uh, you know, with 100 former Michigan basketball players that are clapping and cheering, both of those guys ha- have, have emerged as all-time greats for what they've done to this program. And John Beeline deserves a lot of credit, too. Uh, you had talked about the play of, of, of Simpson, how he makes everyone better. His passing was right on point. Uh, it, it's easy to make shots when you get the ball right in, in your shooting pocket on time and ready to go. And then one other thing that is kind of a hidden key, which impressed me, I thought it was Michigan's best game in multiple seasons at contesting shots. There, there were very few times that Indiana got uncontested wide open shots. The closeouts were great. The, the communication was fantastic. And, and that, that goes to your coaching staff. Michigan was not very good defensively about three weeks ago. They're pretty darn good right now. And, and you said earlier, defense travels, and that's what's coming because the four of the last six games are on the road versus NCAA teams. We need some defense to travel. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you look at, at Indiana, they it was tough. They had a really, really tough game. You wouldn't know it looking at uh looking at you know Deron Davis, who was nine for nine from the from the field and hit a lot of tough shots uh in the in the paint. But you know, they were tough shots. I mean, he was just a guy that was really, really on uh, in that game. But for everyone else for the most part, uh, you know, it was a tough road to hold for 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 a team that, like I said, came in with a little bit of momentum. They completely took Trace Jackson Davis out, out of the game, uh, and that was a huge key for, for Michigan in this contest. wanted to give a, a, a big shout-out to, uh, to Franz Wagner. It was good, Tim. You know, we've been talking so much about what a good shooter he is, and I know the stats don't back it up, but I just keep thinking it's a matter of time, and it was good to see him hit early, finish 7-4-11 from the field, 2-4 for four from three-point range. Very good to see because if he can get consistent from three-point range, if he can get over 30%, I mean, you know, Eli Brooks is shooting about – he's shooting over 38% from from three. If we can get – you know, you can get Franz over 30% uh, from, from three. Now you're really cooking if you're Michigan, if you can, if you can push him up over that threshold. With a, a support player, especially as a freshman, you're not going to get that consistency. His game is not there yet, but but what you're looking at is every every you know third game he's going to go out there and has a chance to lead you in scoring. That's pretty unique for a freshman, but it's also pretty typical of somebody that has some star power in their game. Um, he, he's going to learn that, and next year you might see him emerge as maybe your top scorer every other game, or you know somebody that can really impact the outcome. Um, he, he was great. I love his driving, but I just never expected him with this frail frame to be such a good rebound. He just he knows where the rebounds <laughs> yes, are coming up, doesn't he? 
Yes, he does. Yes, he does. He was very, very effective. Once again, led the team in rebounding in that game. And and, and really good bench production for for Michigan. Brandon Johns, just a a big game and and clutch shots and three for three from three-point range, Tim. And they were all good looks that he that he had and 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 you also saw him you know take the ball to the rim and get and, and draw fouls. I mean, think about think about who went to the foul line the most in that game. It was Brandon John. So, a guy who hit three threes, he was 100% from three-point range to him, but kept attacking the basket. It's indicative of what I said about the game. Michigan 9 for 17 for three-point range, but they kept attacking the rim. Brandon Johns was uh you know, a textbook example of that in this game. And finished with 14 points to go along with with nine, another efficient game from Austin Davis, uh, who in his time, you know, nine points, five boards, just really, really quality uh, production in his 13 minutes on the floor. 30 points from your bench, plenty of rebounds. They made the free throws. They won the assist turnover battle. Uh, that, that's it's hard. It's hard to have all of those things hit. Uh, 17 assists and only eight turnovers. That's the mark of a really unselfish, happy team. And 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 when you're you're playing good offense, your defense automatically gets better. All right, so Tim, let's turn our attention to to this week in the Big 10 for Michigan. They they got to go to the rack. They got to go to to Rutgers and you know, we know that Rutgers has been a very 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 tough team to play at the rack. 17 and 0 at the rack, Tim. And so uh, this is a this is a tall order for for Michigan going to play uh, Rutgers uh, in their dwelling, a place where they haven't dropped a game, and right now in a third place tie, uh, you know, in the Big Ten race. That will be one of the loudest venues that 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 will will um, be in the Big Ten this year. It's going to be amazing, and a lot of those fans were at Madison Square Garden. It felt like. Rutgers should have beaten Michigan. Michigan won by six, but in that game, I, I thought a big key is that Ron Harper Jr. and Miles Johnson combined for three out of 17. They will not do that again, but Michigan is playing better, and, and this is a swagger game. You, you, you've you got your leaders. Um, I, I, I can see the team as they get ready to go out on the court, out of the locker room, and Isaiah Livers and Xavier Simpson are going to be standing there before they open the door out of the locker room. And they don't have to say a word. They just give that look like, okay, guys, you ready to go to work? And and I think Michigan will play their most focused game of the year. I think they'll beat Rutgers. I, I really do. That that will be that will be a statement win. And and I, I think that it's gonna be really important because if you're looking at Maryland on the road, Ohio State on the road, Purdue on the road, if Michigan wants to finish five hundred in the Big Ten, the Rutgers game is their game of the year. Yeah, so two things you you mentioned Isaiah Livers, uh, you, you're right. Ron Harper Jr. He he will be more productive. Miles Johnson will be more productive. Uh, I think Geo Baker will be more productive. Uh, but hey, Michigan don't have Isaiah Livers in this game, and they didn't ha- have Isaiah Livers the last time out. So that's a big thing. Key for Michigan, Tim. Can they keep Rutgers off the offensive glass. I remember you were mentioning it. This is why it's jumping out at me. 26 offensive boards for Rutgers in the last game. Big key for Michigan to keep them off the offensive glass in this contest. Well, I, I, I look at it this way, that that if, if you're Rutgers, 
they were 32% from the field and they were 25% from the line in that first contest. If you miss 18 threes, <laughs> yeah, heck yeah, there's going to be a lot of offensive rebound opportunities. So, you know, you, you can't have it both ways. Like, if, if, if Rutgers would have shot great, they wouldn't have had as many offensive rebounds. Mm-hmm. Is that good or is that bad? So I, I don't worry about the offensive rebounds because I think if, if Michigan's doing their job forcing missed shots, life is good. The next game on the road will be at Purdue. And again, you know, a team that you look around, you, you you write them off, and then Purdue, they'll come up, and they'll they'll grab a big win in there. Always tough to go to uh, to to West Lafayette to play. Hey, I hate to do this, Sam. Come on, one game at a time. We're I, I don't even <laughs> want to think about Purdue. I'm I'm solely focused on Rutgers. Forget the Boilermakers. I I can't even give you anything about that game because I want to stay one game at a time. I got gotcha. you. Well, I'd be remiss though. If if we didn't take a moment to talk about the developments out of Cleveland and you know the the talk that John Beeline uh, and in not even halfway I mean at the halfway point of his first year I knew it'd be a difficult transition I felt like it was a transition that he realized would be difficult stepping in not just because he was going to the NBA and he'd been a lifelong college coach but also because he was stepping into a losing franchise. I mean, this is a team that hasn't done anything without LeBron James. And so the, he is stepping into dire straits, uh, dire circumstances. It was always going to be super tough. I was shocked to read reports that this is, this is, there's a good chance this is it for John Beeline. So you were shocked, but you were shocked at the timing of shocked it. Shocked at the timing the of it. Right. Yeah. Right. Because I, I think that – before the first Michigan Basketball Insider podcast, you and I were just sitting around talking, and and I made the comment that I would be shocked if John Beeline sees the end of this five-year contract. It just it seemed like a bad fit to me. Now, John Beeline's a true Michigan legend. He built the program to unprecedented heights. Uh, he's become a friend, a coaching role model, and I'll never say one negative thing about him. However, the decision to leave Michigan for the NBA was puzzling to me. And, and when, when you think about his style and how well it is fit for college, NBA players are the show. They're creative, they're artistic, they're free-flowing, and John Beeline is the opposite. He's precise and structured and by the book. And, and I, I, um, I don't think that he'll, he'll you know, be coaching in the NBA next year. And I also think that, you know, when, when you look back to when he took this job, he said it would be his last coaching job, and I think that is accurate. Yeah, I, I guess for, for me, and like you said, I, you, you nailed where I'm coming from entirely. Uh, I thought that I agree with you that it was very likely that he wouldn't see the end of this, of this contract, that he, will have, he would have been able to say he gave the NBA a, a try, uh, that he, you know, he was able to 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 try to build a, a program from the ground up in his own image, and uh, simply ran out of time. I mean, he's 67 years old. Didn't think he he would want to go through the rigors for the full five years. But year one, what what strikes me with the timing of it is that he was surprised, Tim. That's that's what I'm gathering from it now. That that he didn't expect some of the that that it would be this difficult. And I guess I'm a little surprised by that. I'm, I'm a little surprised that that he would be caught off guard by how much of a transition it would be to deal 
with NBA guys and managing these uh, these these egos and 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 them you know talking in the media about things that go on in the you know in the locker room. This these were always going to be huge huge hurdles for him, hurdles that I would have thought that he would have seen from a mile away. I, I agree, and I've been around the Cavaliers team this year. I've been around John Beeline's coaching staff, and and from the very beginning, um, I sensed that this was not a good fit, and it's unfortunate. Um, I, I also, you know, kind of question: Is he going to retire? Is he going to get a college job? Because I think a lot of colleges would say, "Oh my gosh, I would love to have John Beeline open up the purse strings. We, we've got to get this guy." But I don't know timing-wise with his age and with how long it's going to take to build a program in his eyes and in his vision, it, it may not work out. Yeah, it's a great question, Tim. I, you know, I hope he can do whatever it is he wants to do. But this just struck me as a, as a, last, a last hurrah. I think part of, the going, part of going to the NBA was to get away from the college rush, the college rat race. Uh, and by that I mean, you know, not, you got to recruit. And not only do you have to recruit, you got to recruit, you know, guys all over the all over the world. If you're recruiting the Franz Wagner's of the world, right? Uh, but now you got to recruit your own roster. Now you got the transfer portal. Now you got, you know, the 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 FBI investigation in the college basketball, not really really penalizing the cheaters. I think it was getting away from all of that, in addition to trying the challenge of the NBA too. So would you? Just because the challenge of the NBA wound up being too challenging, that doesn't mean that all of the other things that you left college basketball for or ran from doesn't mean all those things aren't still present. They are. So I would just guess that he would he would hang them up unless that that coaching that coaching itch just wasn't going to be scratched. But I, I think there are a lot of other reasons for going to the NBA other than just the challenge of it. And that's what would make me lean towards retirement. I, I am completely with you and would, would like to put this out here as my reason why I think that he will not coach again in college, that his system and style is not about recruiting NBA caliber players and, and quickly transforming them into to prospects. His system is to take the Duncan Robinsons of the world and, and mentor them and guide them and teach them and coach them. And then when they're seniors, they maximize their ability. I, I, I think that he's all about teaching culture and the, the proper way to do things. He's about ang- attack angles and leverage on your shoulders and, and the way that you square up and, you know, the things that take a lot of time. And, and so over the course of four years, he's going to be over 70 years old. Right. And, and I, I just, I, that's a, it's a tiring process. You know, what I'd love to see him do. I would love him to, to find a nice, you know, a, a, a small high school and just go there and coach <laughs> right. till his heart's content. You know, right. he loves, he said he has so much to offer young people and, and just to be in the gym and not have the pressure and the craziness, the expectations, just, just go coach and do what you love. He's he's got plenty of money and he's certainly left a legacy at Michigan and throughout the coaching ranks. So, you know, God bless John Beal. Yeah, he's, he's a wonderful coach. And I you know, the perfect scenario, finish out the year. 
you know, yeah. and enjoy the NBA experience before it's over with. Yeah, I think you're, I think you're spot on with that. And you know, don't cry for John Beeline. He's had a great career. He will have tried the NBA. He's financially secure. Uh, he's the greatest uh, basketball coach that Michigan has had to this point. So he's left a lasting legacy uh, as well. Uh, I, you know, it would be sad that the NBA didn't work out like he wanted it to, but wouldn't be sad for him because it will have been an outstanding basketball career and just yeah. a great, oh, just a great guy. Well, the truth is always what Tim McCormick offers when it comes to commentary. He is nothing but the truth. So I appreciate doing another one with you again this week, Tim. Until next week, man, it's been fun. Fun podcast. Go blue. Let's knock off Rutgers. I'm, I'm not even talking about the other game. They only play <laughs> one game this week in my mind. Focus on Rutgers. Thanks, Sam. All right, Tim. Talk to you next week, man. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. Are you still listening? Good. Take a deep breath. You needed a break. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount+. Plus. So, yes, you can literally stream a stream. Paramount+, Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation.